You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the host of this podcast. In this week's episode, I was joined by Pastor Marshall Dallas. This was Marshall's second time on the podcast, and this time he was on, we discussed Psalm 46 and the ways that it speaks clearly to the current societal moment we're living in. We touched on hopefulness and hopelessness and the solid ground we have in the Lord, though the earth seems to give way around us. I hope you find it helpful, and thanks for joining us. All right, well, I'm here with Marshall Dallas. Um, It's his second time on the podcast, and so um, I'll just briefly reintroduce him. Marshall is the pastor of church planting at Sojourn Houston. He serves as an elder and pastor at Sojourn Montrose. He also planted Sojourn Montrose, and so, Marshall, it's really good to have you back on. Yeah, it's great to be back. Um, I know that the the psalm you wanted to talk about today is, uh, is Psalm 46, and and I, I know your idea was that we'd kind of do something a little different for the podcast and dive a little deeper into the podcast, walking through it sort of verse by verse. And and this psalm in particular, um, I'm under the understanding that you believe it it speaks really clearly to our current mo- moment as a society and as the church. And so just along the way, I uh, look forward to hearing uh, some of your insights into that. Um, but before we get started, would you just read Psalm 46 for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Well, before we kind of dive into the psalm, just... um wanted to ask briefly, uh, what, what made this psalm stand out to you as one that, that you thought we should discuss on the podcast? Um, yeah, in any other context you want to provide before we kind of walk through it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably like most of us, um, I've, I've found myself looking for solid ground uh, to stand on. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces in the world around us, whether it's 
pandemics or uh, sort of social unrest, upheaval, um, sort of a uh, really something that affects the entire globe. There's not really like a, a place that you can run to um, to get away from these kinds of things. Um, and so just kind of asking myself like where, yeah, where, where, where when everything else is shifting, um, where, where can I go? What won't shift? Um, what, uh, as, as sort of institutions and, and things that maybe I've expected would just kind of always be stable, um, and provide an element of security and stasis as those things crumble, what are the things that will stand the test of time? What is it that sort of exists outside of this moment in, in world history um, that's fairly like cataclysmic in nature? And so um, I guess to borrow a quote from uh, one of my favorite uh, books, The Lord of the Rings, uh, is there, as Sam Gamgee says, a sun that shines out the clearer. Um, is there something on the other side of this um, that that is good and is um, sturdy and stable and something that we can really lean on uh, in these moments where our strength uh, seems to be failing, uh, or at least the things that we thought were strong seem to be failing. Um, and just as kind of, I've been walking through this journey with our Sojourn Montrose family, walking through the Psalms together. Um, Psalm 46, they're just really stuck out as a place for that. Um, if you're looking for solid ground in the midst of shifting seas, shifting seasons, Psalm 46 is a great place to go as we'll, as we'll kind of unearth uh, over the next few moments. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right, especially given... Uh, some of the imagery in the psalm describing that which is not solid and that which is not certain. Um, there's a reality in which um, the author or authors of this psalm w were aware of, of those times in life when things were tumultuous and, and yet found hope in something, something bigger and something that they didn't have to control themselves. Um, and so with that, you want to just kind of walk us through? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's kind of broken up into a couple of little different chunks here that, that sort of follow a progression that has made sense to me as I've read through it, um, thought through it, kind of prayed through it. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll read that first verse and we'll kind of focus there and then we'll, we'll jump into the next section. But um, so the first verse says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Um, and what I love about that, I, there's, there's sort of the obvious, which is we're being told um, who God is, what he's like, what he can be like um, if we submit to his reign and rule. Um, he, he is and can be a refuge for us, a strength, a source of strength for us. And I, I, I like the emphasis that's given, uh, a very present help in trouble. So not just a presence, not a distant presence, not a casual presence, but a very present help in trouble. Um, and so one, that's just, that's already sort of just brings relief, right? It's almost like, uh, it's like a cold drink on a hot Houston day, just being reminded, um, that that's who God is. And at the same time, um, if you sort of 
look at the other side of that, it's also implying something about us, right? Yeah. It's implying that we need those things. Like that we as humans in and of ourselves, we can't be our own refuge. We can't be our own strength. We can't be our own help. In fact, the opposite is true. We need refuge. We need strength. We need help. And so all of these things that we really need, God really is. And that's comforting um, just straight out of the blocks. And so no matter no matter sort of what is surrounding us in the moment, um, and I mean, you know, the psalmist here is going to present for us sort of a, uh, a hypothetical situation. Um, but no matter what's going on around us, like that already should grab us and remind us of those two things, that, that we need those things, and also at the same time that God really is those things that we need him to be, um, and just, just praise him for those things. Yeah, I think that distinction um, or kind of logical implication is really helpful the, the idea that, that the things that God is to us, the things that, that God has revealed about himself, the way he relates to us, um, they matter not, because, not only because they're good, but because we need him to be that. You know, like if we were strong on our own, having a strong God is unimportant. But right. the fact that we are weak and we have a strong God who is very present is absolutely helpful and it's important and praiseworthy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so then, uh, you know, we move into verses two and three, and this is where um, the psalmist sort of challenges us to, to imagine a hypothetical reality, and this is, this is the reality. It says this, uh, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Um, and so again, he, like he's challenging us to imagine the worst. And so for, for all of the things that we're experiencing in our day, which I, I don't want to make light of, right? There is a whole host of things going on. Um, for all the stuff we're going through, though, the earth hasn't given way, right? Like the mountains haven't crumbled into the sea yet. Um, and so in some sense, like it could be worse, right? Uh, I, I don't know that I ever would have said that about 2020 um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until reading until reading this psalm, right? Um, it could be worse. And yet the psalmist says in in the beginning of verse 2, that even if this hypothetical worst case scenario were the actual case, like if it were the reality, those who are the beloved of God will not fear. Yeah. They will not fear even the worst case scenario. And so there's this, uh, there's this sense that again, like it's going to be developed throughout the remainder of the Psalm, but that there's a very real and present hope that the people of God, um, Christians, people who are in Christ have reason to hope for even in the worst and most cataclysmic moments of human history. Yeah. Uh, this, these verses remind me so much of that famous part of Psalm 23 when, when David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And here what I love is, is while the imagery given is 
it's obviously hypothetical in nature, right? The, it's not written about actually the entire fabric of creation disintegrating, but he presents it as reality. Like though the earth gives way, which is helpful because it's, it's this way of giving voice to an experience where many of us, if not all of us at some point in 2020 could have easily and honestly prayed like, okay, Lord, I won't fear even though, even though the fabric of creation is falling apart, even though yeah. everything seems hopeless, I mm -hmm. will hope in you. Um, I will not fear. Um, and so what do we see moving forward in verse four and five? Yeah. So obviously, you know, some of that's located in verse one where it's like, okay, God is, God is a, he's a refuge. He's a strength. He's a help in trouble. Um, but we're going to get further reasons for why the people of God don't fear, even in these moments of intense um, upheaval. Um, and this is what verses four and five uh, say. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And so essentially the, the hope of the people is that God dwells with them, like that God dwells in their midst. Um, and of course here, and, and in a lot of the Psalms, you know, we hear the word Zion. It's talking about this, this home, this place where, where God dwells with his people, uh, primarily the temple. Um, but for us now, because of Jesus, like the, the presence of God dwells with us by the Spirit, like actually in us. Yeah. And so um, as Christians, like the presence of God is with us at, at all times um, in the spirit. And because God is present with us, uh, we should have hope. That's essentially what the, what the psalmist is, is, uh, is saying. And so again, even, even though uh, the upheaval around us is absolutely reshaping things, the church, God's people, is going nowhere. Um, yeah, we might be being sifted. We might be being refined, right? All of the dross and the filth that is sort of covered, uh, different aspects of the church's glory is being burned away, but we're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, we are the continuation, the outworking of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. We are that multitude that will outnumber the stars. We are that people for his possession, and we won't be taken from him. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so uh, the idea that God is those things, but that he also dwells with us, right? So it's not that God is a refuge and a strength and help in trouble somewhere else that we have to like migrate to or that we have to pilgrimage to, um, that refuge, that strength, that help is present, not just with us, but in us. Um, and, and that's, a, a, I mean, following from the Psalm here should be a gigantic source of, of hope, um, in the midst of upheaval. Yeah. Yeah. This, these verses make me think of the accountant Exodus um, when, when the people have, have sinned egregiously and, and God's response is, look, you can go to the promised land, um, but my presence won't go with you. And then Moses pleads and he says, 
like, Lord, we would rather be in the desert with you than in the promised land without you. And, and it's that sort of like, if you're in our midst, then that makes us your people. And if we are your people, then that's enough. And that's, that sort of faith. I, that's something that's easy, I think, to give lip service to like this idea that, okay, Lord, if I'm yours, that's enough. But in a time like, like this, when it's really being tested, I, I feel like we're called to really ask ourselves, okay, are, are we satisfied simply with being sons and daughters, simply with having God with us and for us? Because there's nothing else that's certain right now. But if that's certain, is it enough? And, and what the scriptures say over and over and over again is, yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you see that, you, you see that throughout scripture. I mean, I believe, you, you know, you sort of see something similar in Psalm 118 that then gets quoted in Hebrews 13. You know, if the Lord is my helper, what, what can man do to me? What can be done to me? Um, if the Lord is, if the Lord is with me, present with me. Um, so yeah. Um, continuing in verse six, um, again, sort of the psalmist just gives us a little bit, he puts a little more flesh on the bones, if you will. Um, and he says this, he says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Um, and this is a lot of like kind of war imagery. And of course, in this time in history, you've got competing empires. Um, you've got, I mean, just a whole lot of, of bloodshed and social, cultural um, upheaval as customs and traditions come into clash with one another, both religious and, and everything else. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, I think um, we, or, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself, um, and I'm, I'm soon to be 35 years old, and so that's kind of, that gives you an idea of kind of what parts of history I've, I've witnessed, but um, we've lived really, I think, in sort of a time of unprecedented world peace and security. That's not to say that there hasn't been conflict. There absolutely has. Um, but we have not experienced a world war. We have not experienced, you know, some of those, some of those larger globe encompassing conflicts that really reshape geopolitics like for, for significant, a significant amount of time. Um, and we're, we're probably teetering on the edge of something similar to that. And I don't mean to be doomsday. That's not at all what I'm trying to do. Um, but the reality is that all of these things that are happening have, uh, have influenced geopolitics um, in significant ways. And I think what we need to be reminded here uh, is, is that although we've lived in a time of unprecedented peace and security, uh, no kingdom, no nation, no empire experiences that in perpetuity, right? Like there, there are a lot of empires, there are a lot of significant sort of world powers um, that live in our history books that all probably at one moment in time thought, this is us, like we're, we'll be like this forever. Um, they've all fallen. Um, and so there's a sense in which if, if, even sort of latently, if our hope has been in the peace, the real peace and the real security that that some of us have been fortunate to 
uh, enjoy because or by virtue of us living in the place that we live in, in the United States of America, um, that even if that's latent in us, it is proper and appropriate that God should should take that away from us, that he should remind us that, that America is not flawless, um, that it is not our source of peace and security, though it might have been for a season. Um, the reality is that um, if sin reigns in the hearts of man, then we will never experience sort of the stability and the peace uh, and the security that we would like to until, until um, we are in that kingdom that Jesus is establishing and finishes establishing um, in the future. Yeah, I, th I think that's, man, that's really helpful. I, th I think there's also a way in which the nations can rage and do rage and kingdoms totter in this moment, though it looks different than it has primarily throughout history. I mean, if we look at a very 30,000 foot view of human history, nations have been for themselves, tribalistic, nationalistic, seeking their interest and protection in the world. And yet now what this, this global and national peace and security that most nations experience, what we're finding is that, that it increases a, an intellectual and political division within those nations that are experiencing peace. And I, I don't think we've seen that in our lives ever as much as we have this year, where we see th this stark divide in what even Christians can be convinced is true, convinced is important, convinced is worth fighting for or not worth fighting for. And, and so the nations are, are raging in that way and kingdoms are tottering, even, even little kingdoms that we build up in our minds as, as providing us pr protection, whether it's a certain worldview um, or political reality, th those things are being upended in, in some ways for the good and in some ways, um, in some ways that aren't good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, then again, we're just, we're given some more hope in, in verse seven, we're, we're reminded that in all of that, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, and then in, in verses, really verses eight and nine kind of together, um, we learn that for all of the desolation that sort of comes through the raging of the nations and the, the, the kingdoms of the earth tottering, um, the Lord brings desolation as well, um, but of a different sort, right? And so this is what, this is what it says um, in verse eight. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. What kind of desolations? Verse nine, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Um, and so what kind of desolation? The desolation of the things that we actually want to be removed from us, right? All of the things that bring disunity and all the things that bring rage and anger and violence and destruction upon the earth, the Lord is busy about making those things absent from our reality, like that that's what he's doing in the world. 
Um, and you're going to talk about it in a minute, so I don't want to spoil it, but there's a real connection there um, to sort of the end of the story that we know, you know, the end of the Bible, Revelation. Sure. Um, I think there's also a, a bit of a callback to verse 1 in that what what is it that the Lord brings desolation upon? He brings desolation upon human created institutions and realities by which they make themselves think they are strong, think they have a refuge and think they can be their own help. And then, uh, Oh, so you're strong because you wage war. You're a a refuge because you protect your people with the bow. Uh, You are a help because you have built yourself up as a kingdom. And he says, no, I'm, I'm putting an end to those things because I am the strong one. I am the refuge and I am your help. Trust not in horses and chariots, but trust in me instead. And that's what I I didn't really anticipate on saying this, but just it came to mind um, as you were talking. That's what makes, I think, Jesus and his life, one, so ironic, but also, two, so surprising for the Jewish people, right? Because Jesus doesn't come in in any significant power right he's not he's not impressive in any in any real way like physically um as isaiah sort of tells us or or foreshadows for us so there's just this it's this common poor carpenter man you know um who comes and lives a sinless life and dies a substitutionary death and then is raised in victory over our greatest curse, our greatest evil, death itself, and now sits ascended in glory, reigning and ruling over all creation. I mean, it's just, and and sort of now he's doing this work of, of bringing these things to their knees. Um, but it does, it does just make Jesus seem so, so ironic um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then the, the Psalm concludes this way, and I, I love this, which is just so in light, in light of all of the realities in verses 1 through 9, uh, the people of God are given a job, right? And we talk about this all the time, that there's indicatives, right? There's, like, there's realities about who we are in the Bible sprinkled throughout. And that those indicatives always come first, right? And then come the imperatives. And the temptation for Christians historically has been, I need to do these things so that these things can be true of me. But what the Bible is really telling us is that because of Jesus, these things are true of you, so now go and do these things. Go live this way, right? So imperatives always follow indicatives. Well, again, here, we're being reminded that if we're the people of God, this is who we are. We're people in need. We're people who need refuge and strength and help. God is those things for us because he chooses to be, because we're, with, we're his people, because he's chosen us. Um, and now we're going to get the, the imperative. So this is what we do in light of it, right? And I love this. Yeah. Um, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Not might. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then again, just that final reminder that the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of the army of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And um, 
Just to clarify real quick, I mean, I think a lot of times we read that verse and we think be still sort of means like to take up like the Rafiki and in Lion King pose where we're kind of meditating and 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 sort of trying to center ourselves, if you will. But that's absolutely not what this is a call to. Um, this is a call to to be still in the sense that as the nations rage, we are still, right? So where there's anger and destruction and violence, we actually put down the sword. We put down the bow. We put down the things that we would traditionally use to sort of defend ourselves, whether it's rhetoric, whether it's actual physical violence, whether it's worldview dominance, whether it's cultural dominance, right? We put those things down because we know that he is God. Um, and so we, we just trust in his ways. That's ultimately what this is. This is an invitation from, from God himself to trust him. Yeah. Um, it's like, and to trust his ways. It's like the, the covenant of God is, is not only this relational binding of God's people to himself, but it's also a, a divine peace treaty and armistice. It's, it's uh, my kingdom is one marked by peace. And you can be sure that though you are peaceful, I will still be exalted. I, I will still have my glory. I will still be victorious. And you can lay down your swords and I'm going to do it anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, it's a call to respond to the brokenness in the world by imitating God in destroying the weapons of war and to trust in God's ways of wholeness and justice, and, and that that's where we find our refuge when everything else that's solid seems to go liquid uh, or seems to go gas on us, right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, which, I mean, that's it's funny that you said that um, because we're recording in advance of you hearing the podcast that will be a week before this one, uh, but Drew and I talked about Psalm 39 and this concept of, of vapor and like the Ecclesiastes term of all is vapor. And, and it, like that, it, it plays so well into that, that even though life is vaporous, that we have this solid ground in the Lord. We have the one who harnesses the vapor, who shrouds himself in vapor, who has victory over the vapor. And, and our call is to participate in his work, which is, it's be still isn't even just this passive response to the world around us. Not it, at all. It's an active movement against the violence of the world and against the injustice of the world and against the ways in which the world solves her problems. And so to, to be still and know that the Lord is God is to enact godly virtue in the world around us by destroying the kingdoms of violence. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, man, this Psalm is so, I, you are absolutely right when you pointed out all the connections that it has, um, to our current moment. And, and for the sake of time, I, I don't want to, don't want to go on and on about it, but I want to encourage, um, those who are listening to look at, at some of the imagery and language that's used throughout the Psalms throughout this psalm specifically, and see that it is rooted in, in biblical tradition in the Hebrew Bible, 
that carries itself forward and these images are played out and find consummation in the New Testament and particularly in the final chapters of the New Testament where yes. where where the scriptures begin with a river of God and they end with a river of God um, making glad his people and his city and and the scriptures begin with r- nations not raging kingdoms not tottering and they end with the kingdoms of violence being brought to utter shame by the work of the Prince of Peace, not the King of Violence, but the Prince of Peace is the one who puts to shame uh, the nations of violence. And so just want to encourage those who are listening to, to look at those things. Uh, one, just as we're going through the Psalms together to, to recognize none of these Psalms stand alone. They're part of yeah. a tradition of God revealing himself to his people. And he's going to use words over and over again and images over and over again to call to mind the ways that he is and the things that he's doing. Um, and just particularly want to point people uh, to read the last few chapters of Revelation and and see how it ends, um, which is particularly helpful in a moment like ours, when right now it seems as though the mountains are crumbling into the sea. Um, but But there is a day... And there's a reality in which it's today, but there's certainly a future day in which it will be fully real, in which the mountains are not crumbled into the sea, but in which we are dwelling upon God's holy mountain and drinking mm-hmm. from his river of life. And, um, and so just want to encourage our readers to look to that and find hope in it as we hope in the Psalms as well. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely go to Revelation 21. The connections are far too strong to overlook. And if we had another 30 minutes, we would probably do that. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, Marshall, it's been a pleasure and it's been a blessing to me. So thanks for joining me. It's been the same for me. 